walking into a room where you can almost feel or taste the judgment, right? They've got these expectations for her based on what she looks like. And what does Susan Boyle do? Shatters them. Absolutely destroys the expectations that they have. I mean, it's just an amazing clip to me. And I had to cut it down, you know, to three and a half minutes because that thing is like seven minutes and there's part of it at the end. She has no idea. She just is walking off the stage like it's over. And they're like, wait, come back. We have to give you the feedback, because then they want to tell her this feedback because, and these are some of their quotes, right? The biggest surprise ever, one of the judges says, in three years in doing this show, they're, they're, they're giving standing ovations. Another describes it as the biggest wake-up call, right? A huge wake-up call. There's something about her as she carried herself as she walked out there, right? And she can sing, but she certainly didn't do any herself any favor, the way she kind of started off talking and was searching for the word village, right? Everybody's thinking, oh, here we go. And I know it's edited for television and they make it extra dramatic and sensational, right? The, but did you see Simon Cowell's face, right? Did you see all their looks? When she opened her mouth, everything changed. And the effect is visible up here on the screen. I mean, here, you know, he's got the skeptical. Have you ever seen Simon Cowell with starry-eyed look on his face? <laughs> He was in love for part of it, right? And that's because Susan Boyle was able to walk into a room and by using the gift that God had given her, destroyed every expectation that people had for her and left the crowd speechless. And what I want you to know this morning is, as we dive in here and we get started, God does this all the time. God shows up in these ways and these places that we least expect in the ways that we just don't see coming and he does it because he loves us because he loves us that much not just to take care of the big stuff in our lives but the the little stuff as well and we kind of get our understanding of how we navigate life and we kind of get in our routines and we're comfortable and we're cruising along and some days God just says wake up check out what I've got for you today have you ever had a moment in your life where God surprised you where God took your breath away where you began, I mean, you thought you knew how good God is and, and how much he loves you, and then you walk through this moment, and suddenly it's like, wait a minute, I don't even think I had a clue until now. God does these kinds of things, and, and as we see him come into our life, right, as he begins to take over as this process of growing as a disciple, falling more and more in love with him as we live every day happens, Right? We begin to grow, we begin to experience these things, we begin to learn these lessons. Like the fact, if, if we should learn anything from reading the book that he's given us, right? Scripture. If we should know anything from reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, it should be this, that when it comes to God, you can expect the unexpected. When it comes to Jesus, you can expect the unexpected, right? Jeremiah got this. He understands that God is indescribable, he can't be tamed. Like, God's never going to fit exactly our expectations. If anything, our expectations of him are probably too small. Jeremiah sums it up, 10.6. He says, Lord, there is no one like you. That's a guy speaking from his personal experience. God, there's nobody else like you. I can't even put you into words. Paul, as he's finishing up the letter to the Romans, the 11th chapter, he, he's kind of describing this journey that God's taken, this plan that he has for life. And he kind of gets overwhelmed at the end of this chapter, and here's what he has to say. He says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. 
how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. And then he starts quoting some of the Old Testament. He says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Straight out of Job. Who knows enough to even give God advice? Who's given him so much that God needs to pay it back? No, for everything comes from him. It exists by his power. It is intended for his glory, Paul says. All glory to him forever. Amen. And that's how he wraps up that chapter. God is one of a kind. And you and I and the smartest people on this planet can spend the rest of our lives trying to understand and study and grasp who he is, how much he loves us. But the truth is, he doesn't fit into the little boxes that we have to put him in, do, does he? Despite that, though, we sure try and shove him in there. We, we have these ideas, these conceptions, and it's part of being human. I mean, we can't start with a blank sheet of paper every time we wake up in the morning. We have to create things that are normal and patterns and routines, and we have these understandings, these working knowledges that we pull together so we can navigate and make it through life, which means we end up relying on assumptions. It's kind of part of life. We end up tricking ourselves, though, into this idea that we think we know we think we know who God is, and it turns out, though, the reality is we have no idea. Just a taste, just the tip of the iceberg. So God sees us thinking we know, but we're not having an idea. So God, in his grace, he does what he does best. He shows up. He surprises us. Just as Susan Boyle opens her mouth and the whole room changes, right? An ounce of God's presence. Things get turned upside down. Sometimes it happens in a moment, like we saw in the video, right? Sometimes it happens over long periods of time, and it just sneaks up on us. All of a sudden, we're like, man, things are way different than I understood. And it hit me, that idea hit me this week as I was engaging in one of the most holy of spiritual disciplines. And you might ask, well, what's the most holy of spiritual disciplines? I don't know about you, but I'm finding one of the most holy things that I can do these days is clean my garage, apparently. I go out there and clean my garage, and let me tell you, there's a little bit of cleaning to be done. Uh, and uh, we're actually having a garage sale this weekend, quick commercial for the Hermanson Family Garage Sale. It's going to be a humdinger out in Urbandale. Come join us. Uh, I'm cleaning it out, though, and all of a sudden I find God teaching me through this. Right? I'm out there, I'm cleaning my garage, and I'm looking around, and I'm kind of trying to figure out what I should pick up first, and I came across this baby. Anybody remember these? Oh, how light this is? It's so convenient. Oh my goodness, let me tell you. Right? And by the way, that's just half of it. Remember, They're, they have these boxes. I know some of you still use desktops. I haven't had a laptop in a long time, but I died laughing when I'm sitting there looking at this. Do you remember these? I forgot about these. 1.44 megabytes. Yeah, that's going to come in handy, right? Right? I started looking at this, and it just instantly took me back, right? My parents paid $800 for this thing. I somehow convinced them that I needed a computer, right? I lived in a dorm with this massive computer lab. But I convinced them I needed this puppy in my room in order to study, right? It's a really good gaming machine, too. I had a lot of fun with it, all right? 
But I use it for all kinds of things. Back in the day, if you wanted to, you know, download a song and share it with somebody, you could put a disc in the drive and you could burn it to a CD and hand it to them, right? Eventually there was this thing they said it was called the internet, I guess. I think it was 2002 when I got this thing, right? And I was so impressed. But one of the things in college that I felt it, I most appreciated about it, my girlfriend at the time, who now is my wife, uh, decided to study abroad for a whole semester in Kenya. And so if I wanted to talk to her, this machine right here gave me the ability to write a note and hit send. It would go all the way around the world to Kenya and she could read it. Even better, I could get out this honking digital camera I had, I could take a picture, right? I could plug it into the base here and I could attach it to email, I could say, hey, look what's happening in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And I'm sure she was like, wow, that's amazing, right? right? And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about how much I appreciated this machine and something interesting happened. My phone rang and I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that I'm thinking, there's a lot that's changed in 13 years of technology. Am I right? Right? My wife, well, look, somebody's texting me right now. I should turn that off. <laughs> My wife goes to Scotland with her family for a vacation this last fall. I don't have to email her. I don't even have to attach a photo taken with a separate device, right? All I have to do is hit a couple buttons, and I can talk to her. I can see her for free. Some of us have been around the planet a little longer than others, but think about 10 years ago, think about 20 years ago, think about 30 years ago and the phone bills that people had to pay. Don't tell me technology has not changed, amen? It has changed. It has changed. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this, I'm just thinking, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then I had this other thought popped into my head, right? I mean, you've got and this isn't that old school. We could go way more old school, right? Right? I was thinking about it in terms of video. You've got DVDs, right? You've got Blu-ray DVDs, right? Do you remember uh, VHS? Oh, yeah. I almost forgot, <laughs> right? Beta, huh? Some of you are feeling really old right now. Beta, right? It goes on and on and on. But it's, yes, very good. <laughs> amen, amen. That was before my time. I didn't want to tell you that, but I'm just saying. But I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm beginning to think about what could have happened, right? What could have happened? What if this puppy rolls off the line and the computer scientist there says, you know what, it's a drop the mic moment. He just says, you know what, I'm done. I created the perfect computer. We can all retire. People can email themselves. That's gonna change everything. We don't need to go to work anymore. And they quit. What would we miss out on? We certainly would never have you know, a life-changing device like an iPhone that can read your thumbprint, right? You can talk to people. What would we miss out on? What if the people who invented this machine didn't allow their expectations, their understanding of the way that the world works, their perception of the reality around them to ever be changed or challenged? What would we miss out on? Well, we certainly wouldn't have an iPhone, but think about it medically, scientifically, socially, right? I mean, what if you stopped doing whatever you were doing 12, 13 years ago, going to school, working? Your life would be dramatically different, and we would miss out on so many things. And I tell you that because I want you to know as we dive in here today that you and I were created to have our expectations challenged. 
God shows up in these amazing ways. He's created us to not just stay the same, but every once in a while to get our worlds rocked. It's just part of what it means to live life. Because we can get this tunnel vision, can't we? Right? If we begin to think, yeah, everything's fine. I've got this way going on in my life. I understand what my job is. I understand what my responsibilities as a dad is. I know what it means to be a pastor. Like, that's never going to change. I'm just going to march forward through life. If we're not careful, if we live like this, we can get into this situation where eventually we get buried so deep that there's no way out. And maybe there's a way out, but it doesn't just require evolution. It's a way out that requires a revolution. You see, as human beings, we can get stuck in these situations where we need to be rescued. And I think Jesus exactly knows that because he absolutely understands our situation as human beings and what we need. You see, we are in a situation that we're stuck in. It's called sin. And that's why we're digging into this sermon series called Join the Revolution because that's exactly what Jesus came to give us is a revolution, but not just one that kind of feels good and makes us do nice things, right? It's a revolution that fully changes the understanding and the way that the world works, the way that human beings go through life. And you might be asking yourself, revolution, like isn't that a little bit of a strong term, right? Let me just read you a definition of what a revolution actually is. This is how old man Webster defines it, a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. When you think about Jesus and why he came to earth, do you think about him as some guy who's just kind of holding hands with everybody, he's got long flowing hair, and he's just here to make friends? Or is Jesus leading a revolution against an enemy? Is he here to conquer something? Right? Jesus wasn't just a nice guy. He came to change everything. That's why at the beginning of his ministry in Luke, he quotes Isaiah 61. He says, this is why I'm here. He quotes Isaiah saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free and the time of the Lord's favor has come. See, when Jesus showed up on earth, it changed everything everything. Jesus pulled a Susan Boyle. He showed up and the crowd went speechless. Yes, they had their opinions about him, but they didn't know what to do with him because he shattered their expectations. And what I want to do this morning is we look at the second part of this series, Mark chapter 2. I want to invite you into three areas of your life where I'm convinced through this story, right, Jesus wants you to take a look at your life and he wants you to figure out, are you, are you living with something like this? Or in these areas, do you need something like this? Because I know, and this is not an endorsement for Apple, so pretend this is a different whatever, but, right? Pay no attention to the branding here, right? But God wants us to have something that works, that gives us what we need to experience the way that he has created us to live. He wants us to figure out what we've got and make sure that we're living the abundant life he talks about in John chapter 10. So let's get into it. If you've got a Bible this morning, I highly encourage you to pull it out. Uh, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to dig in. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, and we're going to walk through the story 
and we'll just kind of see what happens. But I, I believe there are three areas of life that God wants to walk through. He wants to challenge us. He wants to, us, to invite us to think about new things. As we're turning there, just a little bit of narrative to set the stage, right? We just talked about Jesus as a revolutionary. He's launching a movement, right? Again, not just of nice people, not just to create a church, right? But there's something much bigger going on. And to get the word out about this revolution, he's got to do two things. One, he's got to talk to new people. Two, he's got to put it into action. So he's out and about. He's moving around. The revolution is in full swing. But what we find in Luke 2 is it's going to make a turn. He's been out teaching. He's been out preaching. Chapter 1, verse 27, they begin to ask these questions. What kind of teaching is this, right? This has way more authority than anything I've heard before, right? They're asking, who is this guy? Because he's not only teaching, he's healing. He's demonstrating and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. People are getting healed, and that's why we talked about healing last week. As Mark starts, the very first sign of this revolution that's being launched is healing. And word is beginning to spread. Chapter 1, verse 33, we find out the whole town shows up. I'm pretty sure if Simon Cowell showed up at the Vets Auditorium or the Wells Fargo Arena, I don't think the whole town is going to show up, right? But Jesus shows up in this, this uh, town, and the whole town shows up. So he keeps moving, though, and he begins making his way back to home base. He's headed back to Capernaum, and that's where we pick it up in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, it says, the news spread quickly that he was back home, right? Jesus can't go anywhere without a vacation, or he can't take a vacation anywhere. He can't catch a break. Verse 2, soon the house he, where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door, right? I can just imagine Jesus hanging out with his disciples. He's trying to sit down, just made himself a nice peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and he's just ready to relax, right? And there's this little knock at the door, knock, knock, knock. He opens the door, there's people everywhere, flashbulbs going off, TV, cameras, right? Modern day, there's a helicopter flying over. What's he gonna do next, right? Jesus sees the crowd because he's Jesus. He does what he does best. He begins to preach. Next, next part of the verse. While he was preaching God's word to them. Here's where it gets interesting, verse three. Four men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They uh, arrived Four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Verse four, this is where it gets really interesting. They couldn't bring Jesus, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now, we had a pretty busy church service here this morning. Uh, it was in overflow. We had some people sitting up here in our uh, balcony area, right? I didn't see anybody trying to cut a hole in the roof. Maybe I missed that, Right? These guys are, they're, they're up to something here. There's something going on, right? I mean, think about this. They go to see Jesus at his house. They can't get in. And so what do they do? They find a way. They make a way. Right off the bat, just knowing as much as, as we know about these guys, we know at least two things about them. One, if you were to ask these guys, who is Jesus? They're going to say, we believe the rumors about him to be true. There's at least enough evidence here that we have to come and see for ourselves. We know that. They believe the rumors about Jesus to be true. The other thing we know, these four dudes, they really like this guy on the mat, right? Unless they kidnapped him or something. But I'm assuming that they really love the guy on the mat. They have, this story says something about them. They have a strong expectation that Jesus can and will heal their friend. And so they do what it takes to get their friend to Jesus. 
What I love about the story, though, it doesn't say how far they walked. So they could have been next door, right? And they just walked like 10 feet and, hey, we're here, right? We're just coming through your roof. Or they could have been chasing Jesus this whole time, right? My family, we're never, we never get to church on time to hear announcements. It wasn't until I started working at a church that I was anywhere on time, right? Maybe they're always showing up 30 minutes late to the party and they're like, oh man, he went another five miles down the road. All right, here we go. And they keep, and then they get to the house, right? And they're like, we are not losing Jesus this time. And they're like, we're going to dig a hole in the roof if we have to. I don't, I don't know how far they had to carry him. But what matters is that they did. And when they do that, you begin to get the sense these guys are really good friends. I think of myself as a pretty good friend. I think I'm not a horrible guy to be friends with, right? I'm generous. I love to spend time with people. I love complimenting them, building them up, lifting them up. I have never destroyed someone's personal property, though, to show someone that I love them, okay? These guys are raising the bar. And what's awesome about it, besides the fact that just trying to picture, like, little chunks of tile and straw, whatever, falling on Jesus' head as he's trying to preach or whatever, right? What's awesome about that, in addition to that, is that these guys demonstrate what biblical community looks like. And that's the first part of your life. I'm wondering if God wants to challenge your expectations, the things, the ideas and the beliefs about it that you came in here with this morning. I wonder if he doesn't want to open us up to think about, well, what kind of a friend am I? right? What kind of friends do I really have? I talked about this is what biblical community looks like. Well, where am I getting that from? First John 3 is a great place to start. Verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So also we ought to live our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jump ahead to verse 18, though. I love this. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show it by truth and with action. These guys that are carrying this guy on the mat, they put love into action. And I just want to ask you this morning, what kind of friends do you have? Is friends even the right word for these guys? I mean, maybe we need a stronger word like ally, brother, sister, teammate. I, I don't know. They are committed to one another. And the challenge is, though, that you and I walk out of here and we face this temptation, this gravitational pull from the culture around us to have shallow relationships. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Okay, see you later. Hey, what's going on? You don't, you don't look like you're, oh, I'm fine. Hey, do you want to hang out sometimes? Well, I'm actually really busy. I got to go do these 13 things, right? Who knows you? Who knows your story? Because see, we can give in to this temptation to have these quick, fast-moving relationships that maybe lack some of the substance that God wants to give us, and it'll work for a while, but eventually we come to this point in our life where it's not going to hold up anymore, where we really need some help. And you can just ask my wife. There are many points in my life where I really need some help. Some of it she likes giving, some of it not so much. All of us are like this. But the time that pops into my mind from this, uh, thinking about most recently, happened uh, five years ago or so. It happened one day as I was sitting in a seminary classroom in St. Paul, Minnesota. Not the greatest seminary class that I'd been in. I was kind of on the fence whether I liked it, but I'd paid thousands of dollars, so I was there, right? 
And I get this phone call, and I say, hello, I know it's my wife. I say, hey, Heather, how's it going? And she doesn't say any formal greeting. No, hey, how are you, right? She just says, come home now. I'm like, okay, do you understand? That's 200-some miles. I'm driving, I drive a car. Do you understand I'm in a class furthering my education? Andy, I don't have time to explain this to you. Just come home now. And I, I was really fighting her on this because I was... I, I had a lot of skin in the game on this class, and I didn't want to, I'm like, what's going on? You just got to tell me. And the thing you have to know about this story is that my wife is 39 weeks pregnant, okay? She's in Urbandale, Iowa, and I am in St. Paul, Minnesota, 39 weeks pregnant. And she says, Andy, I just don't have time to explain this to you right now. Your two-year-old daughter just ate a handful of mushrooms from our front yard. I don't know if they're poisonous. I called poison control, which we have on speed dial, by the way. And I said, and, and they said, we're not sure. You got to take her to the ER. I'm on my way there right now. Why do I have to explain this to you, silly guy? Come home now. And I went, yeah, okay. I guess I'll come home, right? I don't even think I said anything to my professor. I just picked up my bag and closed my laptop and just left. I'm sure they're like, whoa, what did we say to that guy, right? But I'm in this moment, and as I'm walking to car across campus to get to my car, it's beginning to hit me that my oldest, only child at the time, pregnant with the second one, right, is headed to the hospital. And it's beginning to sink into me that this child that I love and this spouse that I love that's trying to take care of this child, they're both got to be filled with a lot of fear. They got to be wondering what's going on. That begins to enter into my mind. And so I jump in my car and I hit I-35 and I'm racing. And as I'm coming, I just get so frustrated. I, I can't drive fast enough to get home. And so I realize, like, I got to call for help. Like, I can't be there soon enough. And so I start I start thinking, I pull out my handy-dandy cellular device, right? My new technology. And I start thinking through, who am I going to call? And if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know, you start thinking about who are my friends and who's my family, right? Who are the people I can really trust? That, that gets really clear really fast. And I started thinking about it, and after a while, I called our family friend, friends, Kurt and Carol, and Carol was able to go, and, and I called Carol because I trusted her, because I've seen the way that she's raised her kids. I know that they're these amazing kids that have grown up, and, and I really respected everything that they've done in their household, and so I thought, I want her there with my wife. She will know what to do, and absolutely Carol knew what to do. Here's how I know God sent us the right person. One, she didn't just go. That was the first thing, right? Two, she brought snacks. Genius. Genius move. Right? In three, she brought her camera. You might be saying, well, why is that important? Because she's a mom. Because she understands someday you're going to get to the point in your life where you're going to look back at this and you're going to say, you remember that? Right? Wasn't that hilarious? My wife would have punched me if I said that in the moment. I would have punched you. But looking back now, it's really funny. In that extra little gift that she gave us was a picture of my daughter wearing the hospital gown with charcoal around her lips because they had to flush her stomach, right? I mean, crazy stuff for a two-year-old to go with. But when I think about it, there's no question in my mind whether or not Carol was committed to us that day, right? I was incredibly grateful for everything that she did. And I have a feeling 
The guy on the mat in Mark 2 knows exactly what I'm talking about. He had to have felt the same way. What kind of friends do you have? What does it mean for you to be in Christian community? Is it just about going to church on Sunday morning and knowing a few people barely? I mean, yeah, we all start there, right? This is your first time here. There's a room full of strangers, but I gotta let you know something. We're all in this together. We believe very strongly life is a team sport, And so it's important for us to be thinking about these questions. That's the first area that God wants to challenge us in today. And as the story goes on, right, these guys broke into Jesus' house, right? But it turns out that their hard work pays off. We'll jump to the next one, verse four. They don't just dig a hole for this guy, right? They lower him down right in front of Jesus, verse five. Seeing their faith, it's an interesting thing to think about. Jesus says the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And I gotta think when Jesus said these words, your sins are forgiven, I picture like a record scratch sound, the sound, right? And just awkward silence. And someone goes, did he just say that? Like this guy needs to be physically healed. And he just said, your sins are forgiven? Like, did he just say that? Like, what's, what's going on? Somebody had to have been like, say, what? Like, what? I don't understand what Jesus is up here. And here's the point that Jesus is wanting to get, right? We have this expectation sometimes of the way that God is going to heal us. But it turns out that God has a number of ways to heal us. He doesn't just want to put the world back together in a physical sense, but that's part of it, right? But he's got this other sense, the emotional, the spiritual, all of these other realms I think Jesus wants to ask us this question, what is the gospel, right? When we think about the revolution that's been launched, what is the good news? Well, it turns out there's a little bit more to it than just forgiveness of sins. If I were to ask all of us what the gospel is, we'd probably have different answers. But one of the ones that I like best is an invitation to the kingdom of God. It means we get to live in this new Easter reality, And I think Jesus wants to make sure that everybody understands he's not just here to heal their physical bodies. He's been doing a lot of that, right? But he's been talking about this kingdom, this bigger thing going on, and he wants to show them and teach them about that as well. But it's a great question, right? If we were to ask each other, what does salvation look like? What does it mean, right? We would all have these different understandings, but there's at least three parts to it. And again, it's really important that we have all these parts in it so that we can understand, right? The way... The way that uh, is best to understand, kind of understand if you want to get a full understanding of what the gospel is, you got to ask yourself, what have we been saved from? Many of us would say, well, yeah, I, I know that Jesus came. He came to die for my sins. I've been saved, right? And that's part of it. Jesus came to save us from the past, specifically our sins, right? Brings death. We learned in Romans, we are separated from God. Our sins does that. So that's the first part. Jesus came to do that. But Jesus didn't just come to forgive us. He came to set us free to live in this new reality. Jesus wants to save us from ourselves. We face challenges in life. We have bad habits. There are all these ways that God has created us to live a new identity, and we struggle with that. He wants to help us get out of the way and live that, right? And we are saved from these things, from past sins, from ourselves. But Jesus also wants to save us for the future, and there's a, the, it's really important that we have all these. We have these big churchy words to describe these things. We call this justification. There'll be a quiz after, so take good notes. Justification, we call this sanctification, which means to be made holy. You can't be any more 
holy than you already are, but the thing is that God wants us to live into our identity. He's made us holy on the inside, but he wants to transform us from the inside out, right? And for the future, for all eternity, the party never ends. He's, heaven is here now, right? And it never ends. So we call this glorification when we get to come back and live in a day and age when there's no need for funerals. I cannot wait to live in a world where there's no need for funerals. Amen? What's cool about these are the verbs. You have been saved, past tense. God is saving you, present tense. And you will be saved permanently, future tense. This, all of this is the gospel. It's not just a transaction that happens one time and you're done. That's the first step. But it's like entering and joining a family. You don't just get to choose when you're in and out. It's who you are. Does this challenge your understanding, your view, your perception of the gospel? Jesus' news is good news because of this. That's what he's getting at when he tells this guy on the mat who has the best friends in the world that not even they can save him. And so Jesus does what only he can do. He forgives his sins. And he pulls all of that together. What does your community look like? How do you understand the gospel? Two things I think God loves us too much to not rattle our cages and shake loose our expectations and our understandings of. We'll get to the third one in just a moment to continue with the story, verse six. Right? These guys have lowered the guy down. Jesus heals the sins. Religious leaders do not like it. They say they were sitting there. They thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Right? Jesus has just broken the mold for who they think that he is, and they are not happy with it. But Jesus decides to push their buttons again. This is the third time in just a few verses that he's rattling their cages. And he's doing this because he understands he's completely different, right? They wanted David to come back with a conquering army and a big palace. Instead, they got a preacher, a wandering preacher who needs a bigger house, apparently, right? Totally different than what they thought. But Jesus just keeps pushing them and pushing them. Immediately he knew what they were thinking, it says, which is kind of scary. Why do you question this in your hearts, he says? Is it easier to say this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? I don't know. I have a really hard time answering either one of those questions, right? I'm not God. But God has empowered us to be a part and to witness these things. It's part of the, the revolution that he's on. He says, so I'll prove to you the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the guy and he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the guy does, and he walks out, and the whole place goes nuts, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. And to these leaders, it's got to feel like salt in the wounds, right? They can't stand. I mean, it's why they killed Jesus, if you follow the story. And what's cool about this chapter, this section of the gospel is it's like the whole book of Mark crammed into 12 verses, right? He teaches and he does this stuff. He gets himself in trouble, but he's proven right, right? Jesus teaches, he gets crucified, he raises from the dead. Everything that he said was true. He's been vindicated. 
And so Jesus is, is putting this as well. And the question you've got to ask is why? I think the, the, the area that God wants to challenge our expectations in is this. Sometimes God put things in our path, right, that kind of annoy us or challenge us. And I think it's there for a reason, to help us to grow in our ability to trust him. I'm not saying God allows bad things to, God makes bad things happen. But I think there are times in our lives where we just think, God, why is this so hard? And I think if Jesus brought, if God brought Jesus to disrupt these religious leaders, then maybe he's trying to do something like that with us as well. At the end of the day, Jesus is doing what God always does, and that challenges us to think in new ways. He does this because we need it, right? We talk about these two words, these dynamics of relationships all the time. We talk about invitation or grace, right? Encouragement, uh, things that are nice, support, affirmation. That's a valuable part of relationships, but there's this other part we, we talk about truth. We talk about challenge, invitation and challenge, and the goal is to experience both of those. And the reality is that the Christian life, I don't know where we got this idea, is gonna have both those things, invitation and challenge. Hebrews talks about this. The author describes it as divine discipline, just as parents raise up their kids to, to have face adversity, divine discipline. Remember that God is treating you, he says, as his own children. Whoever heard of a child that was never disciplined by its father? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. God is shaping us. Again, it's part of the saving. God is shaping us into the people that he wants and has created us to be. And the question I wanna ask you as we kind of wrap this up today is how do you view the challenges that you face in life? Are they roadblocks or are they opportunities to grow? Because I think there are times in our life where Jesus makes us uncomfortable. I think that's part of the deal. And I don't like it at all. I keep praying for help this work out. Give me comfort, right? God never promises comfort. He promises peace. The reality is if you put all these areas that we talked about today together, I think the thing that we can understand is this. God doesn't, he doesn't just give us what we want. I think he's pretty good at that from time to time. Right, but like a good dad, he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need, and it often shows up in the most unexpected places. I wanna show you a video clip as we wrap up here today and see if you can spot the unexpected turn coming. Let's take a look. The revolution is here. It's up for us to figure out what it looks like to get swept up in it. Let's pray. God, we say thank you today, Lord, for the ways that you show up in the most unexpected of places. God, for a few guys willing to destroy a roof to make a point. God, for the fact that you challenge us to think in new ways, Lord, that there's this gospel that runs deeper than we could ever understand. God, help us to begin to understand. God, to live lives that reflect this truth. God, that you love us no matter what. There's nothing we can do to be separated. God, it's not though you have this heart that's unending, but God, you have all of the power and the might and the majesty of the entire universe behind you. God, you didn't just forgive us, you raised us from the grave and conquered death in the process. God, help us to live in that. God, may we experience your grace, your love, your mercy, and your compassion this week.
Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. That you're headed out today, if you need prayer, we've got some prayer partners that'll be up here. Have a great week. Go be the church.